still some people forget that they're not on the internet sometimes. That happened the other day in a lift. Someone and go, oh my God, Andrew G! <laughs> Actually, you know what? I changed my name. That's uh, Osher now. You changed your name? Oh, that's right. You're a spiritual path, aren't you? <laughs> and she laughed in my face. I'm like, okay, all right. Off you. Okay. You, we're not on Twitter right now. Gosh. This is a face-to-face thing. Okay. <laughs> They just have a lot of feelings. And I'm going to talk to you about the unintended consequences social media is having on your mental health. Is it genetic? Oh, Christ. How on earth can you have a problem with anxiety, Jordan, when you are so confident on stage? But I don't want to go among mad people. Oh, you can't help that. Most everyone's mad here. (laughs) Can would you stop taking pictures of yourself? Your sister's going to jail. The first ever crush I developed on someone from the telly was on David Spade. I won't go into more detail on that today. Please don't. Okay. (laughs) But the second, he was another cheeky blonde, but a little closer to home. His name was Andrew G, and he was a co-host on my favourite show, Australian Idol. Every Sunday when that electrifying opening music beamed out of our flat screen LCD, I'd feel this rush of excitement. Not only was I about to witness Ricky Lee Coulter delivering mass sass in the hope of achieving one of Mark Holden's infamous touchdowns, I'd get to watch Andrew G. But I didn't want to just date Andrew G and potentially hold his hand. I also wanted to be him. His job was so cool. He was hosting the most popular show on TV and got to hang out with Shannon Knoll. Fast forward to just a few weeks ago and I went along to the launch event for Osher Ginsberg's new memoir, Back After the Break. The launch was a performance. Osher was up on stage talking and singing us through his life story and experience with mental illness. He didn't hold back. He didn't mince words. He spoke about his anxiety, intrusive thoughts and a period of psychosis he'd experienced. Seeing him bear all on that stage was a really intense experience for me. As a presenter myself, albeit one who hosts podcasts and Insta stories rather than primetime television shows, a lot of the points he made hit home for me. He spoke about having to put on a brave face for cameras, even when his internal world was falling to pieces. He also spoke about how, after the crazy excitement of the 2003 Australian Idol Grand Final, he felt nothing but numbness. When you picture somebody living with mental illnesses, you don't initially imagine the big, assured grin of Osher Ginsberg. Suited up, hair slick and tidy, about to escort a broken-hearted bachelorette off camera. Osher's recent candour and honesty about his own experiences with anxiety and panic attacks had me reflecting on the stigmas that I carry around with me every day. Does taking daily medication make me crazy? And if people as successful and likeable as Osher know what the inside of a psychiatrist's office looks like, just like I do, then who else is living with mental illness? And how can we start to break down the shame that is associated with it? So without further ado, we're going to talk to the man himself. Apart from being a well-coiffed rose bearer on The Bachelor, 
Ginsberg is an author and host of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. He's also a vegan, which is the same as my co-host Madison. <laughs> so I know she's very excited to chat potatoes and bok choy with him. This is No Chill, episode two. It's an interview with Osha Ginsberg. Osha. Good slate. Yeah, thank you. Good slating. <laughs> Good slating. I'm going to have to keep that in now because you've given me a compliment straight off the bat. Well, That's it's it. important to slate. Everyone, you slate an audio take, you slate a video take, and it's off the, you know, when you see them hold a board up and the clapper board, and they go, and take... Click. Yeah. So yeah, you got to slate. You got to slate your audio. Otherwise, it just says Zoom file four hundred and sixty five, oh. and you're like, I don't recognise this person's voice. I know I should. And then our <laughs> audio producer <laughs> literally will kill me. Yeah. Oh, so absolutely. We can't have that. Hi. Thanks Hi, for having me here. Your studio is so much like this is the best podcast studio I've ever been in. And look at the look at the production quality you've got here. You've got okay. perfectly like the audio's deadening soft is, is amazing. We've got soft walls. We've got a neon <laughs> sign. There's a furry rug in the corner. I've got to say, Osha, the only reason there's a neon sign is because if we turn on the overhead lights, it completely ruins the audio because they're fluorescence. No, and you know I don't know who thought. So, I mean, fluorescence is good. Light without heat, low energy. This is good, but we have LEDs now. The only thing. About about fluorescent lights is why do we need to go through life feeling like we're standing in a public toilet? We don't need it's that. It's true. Turn I the fluorescent know. light off. It's all I say in this office. I just want an office without fluorescence. Yeah. Mm. It's not good for the complexion. It's not good for the soul. It's not good for the soul. <laughs> the strobing does, does my head in. And now we have LED, which is far more energy efficient. It has a better light colour temperature. But we didn't we didn't come here to talk about <laughs> colour temperature, did we? No. We came here to talk about something much more exciting, which is your book that you've just launched. Oh, that's ex- I tell you what's exciting is walking... I mean... For those of you who aren't from this part of the city, we're in we're in ground zero of uh, the hippest of the hip young creative people's <laughs> working environments. Okay, um, downstairs is a cafe called Single Origin, which used to roast their own beans in the cafe at the f- bottom floor. Mm-hmm. The twenty four hour gym above that, and all kinds of extraordinary creative development people. And you get to the top floor and pedestrian, it just looks like there's this entire floor of essentially you know extraordinarily dressed media graduate people. <laughs> With brilliant vintage denim and fabulous facial hair, and like, like I walk in and there's someone doing a uh, like a stop motion animation, you know, cartoon on a desk somewhere. There's someone else editing this amazing video. Hi, I'm just over here writing this blog on the current Liberal Party challenge. Hey, this is me over here making a meme about a TV show, and we're all here together getting paid. Fuck, I love this place. Osha, I think that's our new show reel. Yeah. 100%, 100%. I'm, I'm gonna have to give this to the boss. It's gonna be stoked. No, but I remember when this was a DVD that got sold with magazines. Yeah, right. right. It was like yeah. 15 years ago. You know, I remember when, and I remember when it got, you know, when pedestrian, it was just this TV, this like like home movies that they were putting together and, and, and handing out in, in music shops. And now look at it. It's an extraordinary, it's a, it's a cornerstone of media for so many of our, of our people in our community of this demographic. It's, it's freaking brilliant to be a part of it um, because you, you've created the space where it's okay to, you know, do what you do. And Absolutely. Well, that's sort, of what, that's sort of what you've done for people like us in coming out and talking about your mental health yes. in a really open way. Um, back after the break, back after the break is your book. Yes, it has just come out and it's debuted at number one. Pretty exciting. Yeah. First of all, how does that feel? Uh, well, number one, I uh, I made a psychosis pun in the title of my book. Yes, <laughs> obsessed with it. <laughs> but people uh, won't know that until people, they yeah, read it. Yeah. So basically. Um, 
uh, to, to, to have any sort of episode of psychosis or whatever is to have a break with reality. Mm. Okay, so back after the break. See what I did there? Because hey. I used to say that on, on, on the singing show that I used to have called Idol. Which, so you might remember it. I don't know if I remember that yeah, one. Um, yeah, and then to see that it, it popped out at number one is just that's really something, you know, that just says that... Um, you know, the, the reason that I wanted to write this book was I knew I started getting better and I, I started finding hope that there was an ability to get better when I heard someone else share their story and I heard them and, and speak and go, oh, okay, so everything, they, they basically, I thought I was a special snowflake, but no, I'm just a run-of-the-mill standard person going through at the time, you know, whatever issues with alcohol and then later on whatever issues with my brain. But this person seems to be better now, so maybe I can get better even though my brain's telling me that I can't. So I'm just simply trying to tell my story because I know how much that affected me mm. and I'm very very lucky in that through the course of the work that I've done um, for the last 25 years I have a, a bit of an amplified platform so um, judging by the feedback so far people are being appreciative and exactly it's speaking to that that switch in your brain that tells you no 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 you're the only person that's experiencing this that's false there's a lot of one in four Australians lives with complex mental illness right one in four so that office out there full of young hip beautiful Surrey Hills people you know, say if there's 100 people in there, there's 20, 25 of them, all right? 25 of them live with it, either them or someone they love, or someone close to them, all mm. right? So, yeah, we're not alone. And complex mental health issues, what what can they look like for people? Uh, complex mental illness, um, so there's kind of episodic uh, depression and anxiety, which can resolve with kind of moderate interventions, uh, diet and exercise, sleep priority, you know, work issues, you know, um, and then it kind of gets up a little more tricky. Sometimes you may need a short course of some sort of, you know, medication, which I most definitely advocate because mm-hmm. I couldn't, I would not be sitting here were I not on medication for a long time. Um, and then you start getting up into the more complicating uh, kind of very, you know, more intense anxiety, moving up into OCD, it's a spectrum, and so you move up into OCD, and then you kind of coming up into kind of bipolar, and then you all the way up into schizophrenia and stuff like that. And so for a while there, I was up at the edges of um, uh, coming up the top ends of observing uh, uh, OCD and um, having like kind of dipping my foot into um, psychosis here and there. Mm. Um, and since I've got better, I'm kind of further back down now, kind of to um, you know, I kind of I have episodic anxiety here and there, but it's nothing at all like it used to be um, and I'm able to manage it with um, lifestyle and, and exercise and less coffee and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know things like that I love how you call it a scale because I think a lot of people have this misconception <laughs> that it's a you're either mentally ill or you're totally fine yes and there's no in between but it oh, is a scale <gasps> something so funny happened this morning when I was a kid my first experience with OCD was in kindergarten and it was a thing where mum couldn't put on my socks. They never felt right when she put them on. No, it doesn't feel right on my foot. It, it doesn't. It never felt right, and it wasn't. It was my anxiety mm-hmm. manifesting, and it never felt right. For the first time in so long, because I was quite, I was a bit nervous about today. I put my socks on, and for a minute I thought, oh, I don't think they're on the wrong. I think they're on the wrong fit. fit. And then I stopped myself and thought, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> I haven't experienced this. Like I, I experienced yeah. it a bit in primary school, but I haven't experienced that feeling yeah. in a long time. So I think it's also something that you you can grow out of certain elements of True. mental of yeah. the, and then grow into other ones and 
Well, it's it's the same. Yes, it's a spectrum, and in the same way that um, someone can be you know ripped with a six pack, or someone can be you know holding like 25 percent body fat, they're still kind of mostly healthy. Mm. But it's it's you know you're either you know you kind of come up and down as far as your body goes. And let's not forget, mental health is health. All right. Are you healthy? Yes. Physically healthy. Mental health comes under that, you know, comes under that umbrella. Mm. And, and it's important. But it's really good that you recognize that. It's so important that you know it. My When I got really ill, my mentor at the time, he, I said, I said something's really wrong. And he goes, you're lucky, pal, because crazy people don't know they're crazy. <laughs> because at the time, no, but honestly, at the time, as far as your brain's telling you, this is all real. You believe it's real, 100%. As you sit before me today in that magnificent vintage jacket, it's fantastic, by the way. Um, It's as real as that. And it's very, very, there's a lot of pain inside you when other people can't see it. And you go, oh, crikey, I'm losing it. Fuck. And you get really worried. But your brain's trying to tell you that you're the only person that's experiencing it, which is not true. Absolutely. And your mention of your brain is really interesting to listen to and I. I in an article Judy Adair wrote last year for the ABC, um, she referred to the process of you deciding to share your mental illness as yes. kind of like a coming out yeah. um, tale. And it feels almost shameful and kind of mortifying. So how do you, yeah, like how would you describe speaking candidly about your experiences when you acknowledge that there's a stigma that exists? Um, look, I think I've done, I started talking about this through, basically, I don't know, like episode 36 or something of my podcast nearly four years ago now. I mm-hmm. just opened the mic one day and just started talking about what was going on. And actually someone actually said the other day they've been going through the back catalogue and they can hear the change <laughs> in my voice because I still put the podcast out every week as I got really sick and you can hear it in my voice I just go kind of almost robotic really uh, yeah yeah it's full on actually uh, <laughs> especially like February March 2014 um, and then um, the, the you know I use the word coming out because I would never pressure anyone to disclose alright you may not be in a situation either at work or at home where it's okay for you to disclose but it's important to recognise and understand that if you have an issue going on it won't resolve itself it will only get worse if you don't treat it. It's like anything, mm. all right? It's like any health issue that, that I don't know, maybe you've got a, a, a bung foot or a busted knee or something, and if you keep training on it, if you keep running on it, if you keep, you're going to fuck it up permanently to the point where that's it, it's not going to work anymore, and then you'll be limping for the rest of your life, mm. all right? And then people around you will have to wait for you or they'll have to put ramps into their house or whatever, and, you know, take responsibility for what's going on and what is progressively getting worse. Um, so you don't need to you know, tell the world, shout it from the rooftops, but go see a doctor because it's not going to get better by itself and it, you're not just affecting you, you're affecting everyone around you. And unless you are some person in our society that manages to make a living by never speaking to anybody else, um, you're going to come in contact with other humans, all yeah. right? And it's for them as well. You know, you want to look after your health because, you know, it affects those around you. Absolutely. And so um, why I chose to do it was because, and, and to start speaking around it, because I can't stand the word stigma. I think it's the shittiest word. I just want to make it more normal and have it feel more normal to ha- hear these kinds of conversations. That's why I started talking about it on the podcast so much. I just want to ha- make it more normal to hear these kinds of conversations so that it becomes more normal to have these kind of conversations and then to start these kinds of conversations. All right. So if, for example, someone, you know, starts talking about, yeah, man, I I don't know, it's really weird. I, I kind of had this belief that, I don't know, let's just pick something out of the air because uh, I'll, I'll pick something that I've heard before. Um, if I take 
10 steps from my living room to the kitchen, that means um, my horse will win the race. All right. We are feeling this. And if I don't take those 10 steps, then because you've got the gambling thing going on, and if you're on the phone, you're on the app, gambling, 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 but oh, the horse won't run unless I do this stuff. Like, no, that's not real. And like little things like that can become bigger mm-hmm. and bigger and bigger. And before you know it, you're performing all these behaviors all day just so you can get through your day. But that completely negates your ability to connect with the world or experience life or make any of your own free choices because you have to do this long list of things before you can do anything. I, that's You are literally <laughs> speaking my language. And it's rules. So I've, I've got yeah. obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, and you're right about the list. I literally have to obey the list. And it was only until I started speaking speaking to my partner about it very very candidly very much like hey if i if i don't do this does that mean that you will get into a fiery car crash and die let's touch wood because i'm not yeah. i'm not all the way cured yet so no, true. but um yeah it was only until i started having those conversations with him and talking to other people talking to lucinda hmm. that i got the confidence to go you know what i think it's time to see a psychiatrist hmm. I think it's time to take these steps yeah because it's just, interfering with your oh my life. goodness yeah. Absolutely interfering with my and it's, life. And it's one of those things that is, you know, you mentioned obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, it's, it's so misunderstood in the same way that psychosis is so misunderstood. If we've, if, if you've only been educated about complex mental illness from television, I can pretty much guarantee that you have no idea what complex mental illness is. Obsessive compulsive disorder isn't having things neat. No. <laughs> that's just someone who's neat. Yep. Yeah. And that's fine. <laughs> it's okay to be neat. It's good. It's, I cannot continue with this conversation until everything on the desk is arranged at right angles. I'm sorry, you're going to have to not speak. Yes. Whatever, you know, and it's it's you're unable to rejoin humans until this particular set of tasks and it's fucked because it's fine when you live alone but Ooh, when you yeah. start having people around you, when you start having people who you work with around you, when you start you know, you become trapped and unable and this is, but it's the same thing, anything, compulsive behaviour and I certainly had that with drinking um, you know, I just couldn't rejoin reality or experience, I no longer had a choice in what I did in my day so much of it was dictated by these compulsive behaviours and that's no way to live life's too short for that mm. and you can see where it's going to head, I mean that's the main thing, you can see where it's going, um, that's a long answer to your question. No, that's uh, right that's really, really <laughs> We just had like a, a moment. I know, yeah. I feel so seen, it's just, it, that makes so much sense but to this, me. This is exactly how I, how I left feeling after coming to your book launch, so last week you had the launch of Back After the Break I'm so grateful you came. That was a fun night. Osha, sitting in that audience, there was a moment about five minutes in that I started to cry. I'm not a big crier. I don't cry in movies or anything like that. But I think it was maybe because we grew up watching you and you have this anecdote about Australian Idol, the Australian Idol Grand Final and you're walking out and like there's fireworks and stuff and I remember the excitement of yeah. that. Everyone in Australia was watching it and there was Guy Sebastian and Shannon Noll and you. You said that afterwards you just felt numb. Numb. Nothing. Zip. Nothing. Nada. Empty. And you're in the prime of your life. You're yeah. a young guy yeah. on the most highest rating yeah, Australian yeah. show, yeah. and you just feel numb. Yeah, I was 29. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was it was bananas. It was bananas, and then I sang a song about it. 
There's a couple of songs in that show. It was nice, actually. It was nice to sing some songs. Um, I actually really surprised the shit out of my wife because she knew I used to play and sing, but she had no idea to what extent. Uh, and there's a lot of people that I've worked with are like, we didn't know you could sing and play. I'm like, yes, yes. This is going to be another career. Again, well, I stopped. Basically, I stopped being in bands when I started working on, on Channel V, you know, the last kind of year of radio or something, I stopped playing in, on stage. And then when Channel V showed up, I just kind of gave it away, really. And then, you know, I just had this whole idea because there's parts of the book that are a bit too squishy to talk about on stage. And I don't have acting training, so I don't want to stand up there and go. And then, you know, then I was, you know, you, know, you, know, you yeah. don't want to... Like, there's a few pretty grim moments in the show where I kind of do talk about some pretty dark And you stuff. talk about that in the book, right? Yeah. This is all in the book. Yeah, yeah. I talk about in the book. With a, I thought, how am I going to talk... I don't know. I'll sing it. Because musicals are always easier to sing about. It's easier to sing about emotion than it is to say emotion. You were recently on the cover of Men's Health, looking absolutely shredded. <laughs> but I want to know about your thoughts on the whole transformation narrative that's mm-hmm. at play there. Um, well, I think, you know, like anything, the before and after world is, you know, you've got to know why you're doing it, you know. And for me, it, it wasn't... 100% aesthetics. It's nice that aesthetics were a pass- part of it, and towards the end, it was like, I'm so close, I'm going to go for it, all right? Because you only get one chance in life to be on the cover of that magazine, <laughs> all right? There's 11 chances, well, there's 12 chances a year. You take away the, you know, there's always going to be a rock, there's always going to be a Warburg, all right? <laughs> so there's 10 chances a year <laughs> to get on the cover of Men's Health magazine, right? And I always said that I would never take my shirt off on camera unless it was for the cover of Men's Health magazine, and I did, and I did. You're and a man I was of your the work. first plant-based person to do it in Australia. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I lost nine kilos of fat and put on two and a half kilos of muscle, eating nothing but plants. And I've been eating nothing but plants since 2002. I was just about to ask how long that's yeah, been long going time. on for. Yeah, since before Instagram. So. <laughs> I've <laughs> been vegan a long time. Uh, so it was really important for me to do that as well, just to go, here's some genre-busting shit, all right? Mm. This is you don't, you know, this whole idea that, y- you know, you need meat to get muscle is false, 100% false, and here is me proving it, you know? Which one of us is standing on the cover? No, yeah. so that's, a, that's a full ego <laughs> bullshit. Story. No, but really. Um, but... If you read the article, and I, I was really, I was really grateful it came along when it did because I was coming off medication. I worked very, very hard doing all the extra work. Medication doesn't fix everything. Medication just it gives you the the seatbelt, uh, the four point rally harness that you need to do the stunt driving that you need to do through the shit you've got to work through, so you can be safe working through the stuff you need to work through, so you can exist. All right, it's not just like a Panadol; you take it and the pain goes away. There is that kind of medication, but life doesn't work very well on it you just sedated and that's it you become a blob in the corner in my experience i've been on those they're good when you need them trust me they're good when you oh yeah <laughs> they're really good when you need them but it's not it's no life to live um so i was looking for a way to um there's a big difference between uh, not taking medication and not needing to take medication and so to keep not needing to take medication i, I need to do many things in my day including i need to prioritize sleep i need to journal i need to make sure i watch my coffee i try to make sure i do everything i I do, you know, with a sense of purpose and try to connect 
with the situation that I'm in. Um, and uh, there's a certain amount of physical activity that I need to do every day to be sure that the um, feel-good hormones that my brain is now capable of releasing, it wasn't when I was sick, but it is thankfully now, um, get released. And that we're talking dopamine, serotonin, the endorphins, and then most importantly, norepinephrine. And norepinephrine is a really, really good one because that's the one that gives you that kind of mental resilience, that resilience to things that annoy you, really. And that's a that's a big one. And so, Oh, found- is that like how just before when we were halfway through this podcast <laughs> and then I realised that we ran out of space, but now we're back in Did the Did you studio. see how many shits I gave? Yeah. No, you were really You were incredibly that. calm. Sure. <laughs> like, no fucks. I have no fucks to give. And that's right. because of that. Well, you know, because I, I rode, I've, I've been swinging kettlebells all week and this morning I fanged it around the park and... You know, I'm you know very grateful to be a part of this, and so I'm you know approaching this with an enormous gratitude, and I'm very grateful to be here and in awe of what you know you've achieved here at Pedestrian, and um you know of course I'll do it another time, whatever you want, absolutely. Um, so the mental health thing, the men's health thing was, um, yes, men's health is not just physical health, men's health is also mental health. In fact, all health is also mental health. Um, yet if you read the article, there's nothing in there about really. I don't really write anything about lifting weights. Mm-hmm. All I wrote about, and it was told for the first person, all I really wrote about was uh, compulsive eating, drinking, and mental health. And there was a little bit in there, but that was written by one of my coaches, Chief, who, who wrote all the stuff about how we did it. That was, that was it. Right. And so having the, um, the before and after thing, there's certain things I find that you need to do in order for people to take you seriously. Okay. You can never take away the fact that I've been on the cover of Men's Health magazine as a plant-based person, all right? Mm. You can that's say whatever you like about life. it. I did. That's me. I did it. I'm yeah. there. That people then go, you may get one extra sentence that they listen to you say, all right? <laughs> once once you have that attention, you, you might they might listen to the next thing you say for about five seconds and then they turn off. So that's why it was important for me to do it. And what is the next sentence? That the next say? the next sentence is like um, looking after your body is looking after your mind. All right, there is an aesthetic response, which is nice. It means I get to wear nice sharp suits on telly, and uh, you know the, the you know the tailored suits are nice, and it's you cut a nice figure on the telly. That's nice. <laughs> your wife goes mm, when you put on a t-shirt. That's nice. That's nice. Um, but it's not the main reason I did it. It's I, not a I, revenge body. No, hell no. Um, I did it because. And I do it every day. I still work out every day. I still do resistance training every day because of those hormones that get released. And also, to be honest, and I'll quote Guy Sebastian here because he and I talked at length about this, um, starting your day with overcoming adversity with resistance training, it basically tells your brain, you've got control of this. You can push just a little bit further into discomfort. And tomorrow when you try this, it'll now be comfortable. So guess what? You get to push a little bit further into discomfort and it'll now be comfortable. It's the same as the exposure therapy I did with my psychologist psychiatrist when I was, um, you know, getting treated for um, the obsessive compulsive disorder stuff that I I went through. Um, That's really important. Mm. You know, part of the exposure therapy theory is like, just hold on, hold this space for like, as long as like five minutes, just hold this horrible feeling for five minutes. And then by minute six, seven, eight, it's not as horrible anymore. Okay. So now here we are. Now we're at 10 minutes. Now we're at 12 minutes. Now we're at 15. Okay. We've been thinking about this thing that gives us so much discomfort for 15 minutes. All right, then. When I see you next week, we're going to go one step further than that. All right. And it's just basically that. It's just like your mm. body adapting. All right. What you see on that cover is my body adapting to discomfort. Right. All right. So I'm, I'm thrilled that I, I, I've kind of taught 
my brain that there is more available to me and that possibility exists if I just push that tiniest bit harder. 5%. I'm not saying I have to do tw- lift twice the weight. It's just if you've lift, you know, if you're lifting 20 kilos, lift 21. There you go. Right. And I imagine to someone who's dealing with um, issues maybe with depression or anxiety, having a physical thing to see progress yes. can give you ho- hope about something because sometimes it's so hard to yeah. explain even to yourself how to move forward. Taking control is, you know, accept the things you cannot change, uh, courage to change the things you can, right? Um, uh, wisdom to know the difference. All right, so changing, uh, taking control, if, if this is the brain that you got, and like this is the brain that I've got, what are the things that I can control? I can control what I eat, I can control how much I sleep, I can control the people I surround myself with, I can control the purpose at which I go about my day, and I can control, you know, how much exercise I get, you know. Every one of those five things is going to make me feel pretty good if my brain is, is, is on the way to being healthy. Even if my brain isn't on the way to being healthy, it's just going to give me a better chance at having a better chance at getting healthy. Um, just even taking control of the tiniest part of your life. Like, you know, I always tell people, find a habit trigger. All right, I was talking to a bloke this morning. I said, do you make a coffee in the morning? He's like, oh, I don't have time to work out. So, do you make a coffee in the morning? Yeah. Do you have a machine? Yep. How long does it take to warm up? Three minutes. All right. You've got three minutes. Do 10 squats. Do 10 push-ups against the wall. No matter what happens the rest of the day, you've done two sets of something. <laughs> yeah. and, like, and then that starts to squirt that little bit of dopamine into your brain. And the next morning, when you flick on the coffee machine, you'll do your 10 squats. You do your 10 push-ups against the wall. Yeah, I might do one more. You know, you do 11. All right? You don't need to go from zero to running a marathon. You just need to go for a walk around the block. First step. And it just goes from there. Yeah. Totally. And it would be... It would be strange to bring up health and to bring up the men's health cover without talking about the state of men's health in Australia and without talking about masculinity. Uh-huh. Um, and for context, I, I'm a freelancer and I covered the, the Notorious Men's March um, last week. That was held in Melbourne. And a lot of the issues... Is this a bunch of straight white men complaining that the world is against them? Yes. Oh, how terrible for them. I know. I felt, yeah. it, it felt more, I've been saying this to listener, it felt more like a gathering of um, frustrated uncles at one of my, <laughs> on one of my dad's <laughs> side of the family. Um, they're all related. They all looked yeah. exactly the same. Um, no, but one of, the, one of the, the points that was brought up in my, um, in my objective reporting, which is very difficult, um, was, was the high rates of suicide. And they'd say, you know, men want to, men need to be able to talk about their feelings and have permission to be men, and I, I, I totally agree. And what's really refreshing um, when it comes to you is how you do speak about the tough stuff. You do speak about your feelings. Um, like I was, I was saying, I've, I've heard you cry. I, I've, I've heard you speak so adoringly about your your wife, your relationships, your human relationships. Um, do you think that you are, in some senses, reinventing? Your your form of masculinity. Um, I, well, look. I firstly, uh, I, I'm I'm sorry those guys feel so backed into a corner that that's their only option. They mm-hmm. feel that there is nothing they can do except stand in the street publicly and say these things. <laughs> yes. And you know, you you may laugh, but they're ultimately quite scared about something. And how can we make them feel safer before they're going to do something fucking stupid? You know, absolutely. Because that's where all this all this stuff comes out of. Comes out of fear. It's like it's going to be all right, guys. Don't worry. It's just different. It's all right. We're all human. <laughs> we'll all be fine. It's just a little bit of melanin, or a you know, a bit of a, a like one chromosome <laughs> different from yours. Everything is going to be fine. Man. Just a little bit of 
melanin. A little bit of melanin or, you know, that. an X chromosome where there's going to be a Y chromosome. It's, it's going to be all right, mate. It's, it's going to be it's going to be okay. Um, and, yeah, life can feel, if you're used to your reality, you know, appearing in a certain way and suddenly that starts to get threatened, um, yeah, you're going to feel that things are being taken away from you, it's particularly when other people start enjoying privileges that you thought only you had. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's going to feel like things are getting taken away from you. No, they're not. Yeah. It's just everyone's. We're, we are in an incredible co- country, the most pr- unbelievably safe and peaceful and incredible. We've had seven prime ministers in 11 years, ladies, and not one shot was fired. Yeah, wow. Let's not forget that. That is fucking incredible mm. that we've had leadership changes in this country without any violence. All right, that does not happen elsewhere in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we had we had an Argentinian exchange student staying with us, and it was nice to make her feel a little bit at home by having a leadership change. <laughs> <laughs> get a little bit South American, just like you. <laughs> just get a little bit yeah. of South American for her, yeah, but far more peaceful. Um, as far as masculinity goes. Look, I'm. I, I don't. I don't really feel too comfortable trying to talk about any kind of masculinity or femininity. Uh, femininity, um, you know, because we're all we're all people. We're all humans. We all eat, drink, sleep, shit. You know, we need cuddles. We need validation. We need connection. We need food. We're weird animals. We can only exist at a certain like, tiny little temperature range. Otherwise, we all either overheat and die <laughs> or freeze to death. We've got to eat so many times a day. We've got to pee. We've got to poo. We have to drink water. We're really vulnerable creatures, and. You know, we are all on this planet together. Um, I don't know if there's too much space to start making divisions. Uh, Don't know about masculinity. I certainly never related to what was traditionally thrust upon me as as that. However, um, I would say it's more, you know, I would like to be... If I'm going to try to be a part of redefining anything, it would be, you know, what's the possibility that we have to all move towards authenticity? Because Mm. when we uh, act authentically with each other and we have an authentic experience that we can engage with each other and see each other for what they are, then you're going to get your frustrated uncles seeing, you know, it's, it's like the... You know, you get the, if you're having that experience, that authentic experience, and you get the frustrated uncle seeing that this person they're so afraid of, you know what? They've got two kids just like you. They've got a job just like you. They go to the toilet just like you. That's they it. work 16 hours a day just like you. All right? They were born here just like you. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> there we go. We're all the same. Yep. You start okay. showing empathy and compassion. Precisely. Yeah. And authenticity is the pathway towards that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know I sound like I'm some sort of fucking you know, left <laughs> optimist, but I'd rather be... I'd rather be optimistic about these things. Why not? Absolutely. Speaking of connection, we have to talk about The Bachelor. Yes, ma'am. That's a, if we're playing the drinking game, that would be a, <laughs> all having a shot. Um, I'll see how many more words you drop. You're the Rose Wrangler. Yes, ma'am. Um, and I want to know, though, because to me, when I watch The Bachelor, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is how I see it, there are people who go on The Bachelor and they're looking for love, and then I think there are people who go on The Bachelor and they're looking for more Instagram followers. I don't know whether or not that's true or <laughs> I could be wrong, but from your experience, do you ever want to say to these people, like, the thing that you're searching for or this fame won't necessarily make you happy? Um, I, I would disagree saying that that's why people come to us. Um, I used to say I don't think people come... To, if they do, if that is a part of their experience, then, you know, that is. But I don't think it's the main reason. People just want connection. People just want authenticity. People just want to be held and loved and, and seen. All right? Um, 
that's why any of us have a Facebook account. That's why any of us put photos up. Yeah. We want to be seen. We want to be authentic. We want to be validated. All right? We want to be validated. It's ultimately unsustainable and doesn't touch the sides. Okay? So we all have an Instagram account. We all have a Snapchat account. Um, how long does a like make you feel good for? Four seconds? Yeah. <laughs> if that. If that. If that. All right? Yeah. It, no, it's not there. Um, I used to, back in the olden days... I think it was in black and white and it was powered by steam. We did a show called Australian Idol. It was back in the, 18, <laughs> in the 1840s. And I, I noticed early on that there there were people that, um, just to answer the second part of your question, there were people that kind of, I, I had this idea that they believed that whatever problems they had in their life, that would all go away once they got on television. Everything was going to be fine. It isn't. Um, and uh, if anything, what that will do, just like you know the the optical mechanism of the camera lens, it will simply magnify. Okay, so whatever you got going on, it'll become a hundred times bigger. You know, if you're a really ace person, you'll be a hundred times bigger ace person. If you're not a nice person, you'll be a hundred yeah, times more not nice. That's just how it works. Is that how it works? Yeah, absolutely. But what about when you hear about TV presenters who are really likable and then people meet them and they're really not nice? How does that work? How do they trick the camera? Um, I've never really met one, and okay. I've been at this for a very long time. Yeah, I was going to say, I can't think of any... Either. It's very difficult. You know, sorry yeah. to cut you off. No, no. It's very... In my experience, I'm old, all right, and I've been working in the music industry since I was 17, but in my experience, people who are not nice to work with, you generally don't see around very long. Right. Okay? We never saw the bands that were assholes tour for a second album. All right? You just don't see it. All right? And it's a very... You know, you do our job. Our job. You work... You you don't work in television for fame, for fortune. <laughs> we work in Australia. It's a very small market. Um, you do it because you love it. And you love it. And I love working in the team environment. I love... My, my producers are incredible. I love working for my EP, Sean and, and Janine. They're just... Janine's amazing. She's an incredible human to work with. And Hillary and Stephen from the network, just the best ever. And I learn so much every day I work with them. But... No one's a prick because, frankly, like no one's got time for that. You're on set. You're on, you're on set for sixteen hours a day. No one's got time for someone who's a grumble bum. No, no, no. Because in our in our business, uh, the business of reality television, where you are essentially trying to capture authentic emotional reaction on camera, any any kind of energy that is at all off in the room, the cast will pick up on it and it'll change. Yeah. It'll change them. Really? So we have to be as benign as possible, and everyone's just got to be Teflon. Just super smooth, super super smooth. That's really important, really important because then that allows. Like, how are you going to fall in love with someone if your cameraman and sound guy across the room for you are having an argument? (laughs) You'll be like, do you you see the way these guys are looking at each other? No, no, no. they need to be as benign as possible, and that's us. That's what we have to do. We have to just be cool and calm. My buddy Grant, who's a my buddy Grant's a bass player and a he's a hired gun. And he's a he's a bass player in a you know, I won't say his name, but he's basically in a very very big rock and roll band, and he's like the, the mercenary um, bass player because the original bass player's not there anymore, but he's the guy, all right. And he's he I said you know he would often say this isn't the first time he's done it, but he was like you know you know why I get these jobs because I'm a good hang, mm. I know how to sit in the van for eight hours and not say anything. You don't have to talk all the time when you're on tour. Yes. I can, I'm a good hang, mm. all right, and that's what's really really important. So. Um, yeah, that was a long way of answering. Uh, 
I don't really know. I no, haven't I really think you're answered. anyone that's done that. No, you yeah, okay. Yeah. Really and I've done it a while now. I want to know before we ask your final question. Go. Um, social media. Yes. You use social media I a do. lot. So do we. That's why we're doing No Chill, this podcast. How do people treat you? Like, people feel like they know you. I mm. feel like I know you. You've, I've grown up with you on my TV. Yeah. Now I have you on Instagram and I'm seeing what you're doing all day, every day. How do people react to you in person now? Generally, people are pretty good. Yeah, generally. I don't drink anymore, so I don't go out in pubs anymore. But back when I was... <laughs> that changes things, hey? Mm, back when I was single and blonde and very visible, um, I used to cop a lot. I used to cop a lot of face-to-face. But this is kind of really before Instagram, before Facebook. You know, people used to... You know, guys, oh, fucking watch this, watch this, and they walk over. Oh, mate, you're a fucking idiot. I'm sorry, you're a fucking idiot, mate. Um, <laughs> but I'm kind of, I'm pretty deaf, so the way I'd play it off is, I'd, I'm oh, sorry, man, what'd you say? I can't, can't hear. I don't know. That's my left ear. It doesn't work. Say it again. By the time I've said it four times, like, oh, just, yeah, just kind of, Oh, what's your name? Oh, yeah, good to see you. And then before you know, oh, I, I thought you were a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that, so that, that's it. that's kind of what what would happen. But you know, still, some people forget that they're not on the internet. So Sometimes so it happened the other day in a lift. Someone and go, Oh my god, Andrew G! Actually, you know what? I changed my name. That's Osha now. You changed your name? Oh, that's right. You're a spiritual path, aren't you? <laughs> and she laughed in my face. I'm like, okay, all right. Off you, you, okay. You, we're not on Twitter right now. This is a face to face thing. Okay. <laughs> she was with her husband, and her husband was mortified. Yeah, all oh, poor thing. Well, it's all right. It's okay. It's okay. You know, people can be, and, and I've, I've done it. You know, certainly when I've met people that I, I've only ever seen, you know, magnified through a, a, a lens of a camera lens or a film lens. Um, you know, you react and your body's full of chemicals. You're like, and, mm. and, 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 you know, some of that is manifesting as fear, and so aggression can come out. And so, okay. I get that. You know, I understand that. She got out of the lift. I went upstairs and ate my Uber Eats. It was really good. And it was good? Yeah, it was really good. Osha, we want to ask you one final question that we ask every guest. Madison, would you do the honours? Absolutely. What's the one thing you keep offline? The one thing I keep offline... I tend to uh, I tend to write about most things on I, 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 I talk about different things on different platforms like what I will talk about in the Facebook group for my podcast will be different to what I do on the Facebook page which will be different to what I do on Instagram which will be different to what I do on Twitter I think different audiences are in different places and I, and I really enjoy the interactions and engagements I have with each of those things and I try to be as authentic as possible where I can and at least give an oblique version of what's happening because you know ultimately we just all want to feel like we're not alone and I just want you know, I know I, I felt better when I realised that other people have a similar experience. Mm. Okay, good, it's not just me. The one thing I do tend to be quite, quite, quite obtuse about um, is any interactions with my daughter. Um, you know, I have a 14-and-a-half-year-old kid. She's beautiful. She's incredible. She's a driven young woman. And, you know, I'm trying to be a parent to a 14-and-a-half-year-old with four-and-a-half years of experience. Yeah. Okay? Jeez. She was 10 when I came along. And um, so anything that happens between us, I don't ever really talk about because, you know, there's a, I think there's a vulnerability that comes with anyone when we were in our teenage years, and I want to be sure that she feels safe that if she ever gets, and she does, you know, 
um, you know, that if it, anything that happens between us stays between us, um, so that there's a safety in how she can express herself and I can express myself. Amazing. Yeah, that's about it. God, and, that's, and that's big, given that you've been a radio host with the whole yeah. thing, mining your life for content. Well, exactly. Yeah, and I told her when I did get that a breakfast radio job, I said, "Look, I am going to talk about you, but don't worry, I'll always be the bad guy. Mm. I'll never throw you under the bus. If I ever talk about you, it's only ever to discuss my behaviour." And she understood that. She sat in and listened to me tell a few stories. She goes, "Okay, it's never." I just happen to be the reason you're talking about your own behaviour you're not throwing me under the bus and yeah. then she was cool with it Osha can you give us the details of your new book where can we get it ah it, it's called Back After the Break which is a, a, a psychosis pun you get it wherever you get it um, <laughs> wherever you get books get it and if that's not enough Osha for our listeners what else can we listen to your podcast yeah just find, find wherever good podcasts to her just type in Osha Ginsberg the Osha Ginsberg podcast every week easy. thank you so much for gracing our little podcast I'm grateful Osha. to be here thanks for having me on your show Bye. Bye. Adios. Thank you. Hasta luego. If this episode brought up any ugly feelings or you just need to have a chat with someone who gets it, you can phone Lifeline on 13 11 14, Headspace on 1800 650 890 or Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36. Next time on No Chill, we'll be talking to another celebrity, but a celebrity of a different ilk. He is the sort of millennial that baby boomers love to hate. A meme demon, an Instagram god, a spicy content ejaculator. His name is Kai Sutija, but you probably know him as your mum's your dad. And we'll be chatting to him next week. If you know somebody who could really take a No Chill pill, tell them they can find us by searching for No Chill on iTunes. If you listen to this and wonder what we look like or want to know what we eat for breakfast via our Insta stories... It's sweet Bix, both of us. <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram. Lucinda is at Frooms, F-R-O-O-M-E-S. And I'm at Madison R. Griffiths, with one D. Love the D. And if you liked this podcast, or if you're one of our enemies and thought this recording was really mega embarrassing and worth bitching about in your group chat... You got something out of it. So please give us five stars on iTunes. And as always, don't keep calm, but do carry on. Goodbye. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>